0: Welcome to the podcast, M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through M&A projects where we've been involved in the course of our careers, unpacking the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose in doing this is to leave you, the listener, with valuable lessons and experiences that you can use in your own M&A projects. So without wasting any more time, Let's get this podcast underway. Hey, Toby, greetings from Melbourne. It's in Sydney. <laughs> I saw a strange apparition today. I saw a brass monkey walking around with some welding gear. It's damn cold here, I can tell you. I think well, our temperatures somewhere between 4 and 11 or something like that. Right
1: at this very moment, is it? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's been a chilly but I, I'll say one thing. The weather's been bright here in Sydney, so um, bright and sunny, which has, for much of this year, it has been raining like a Absolutely, know, yeah. Like, yeah. So,
0: it's, it, it's good. It's good. It's nothing to do with global warming. Nothing at all. Nothing <laughs> at all. Purely your imagination. <laughs> right. <laughs> Moving right along. Moving along. You're going to talk about a topic that made me stop in my tracks a little bit about yeah. um, engineering the value in M&A deals. And the reason yes. why it made me stop in my tracks was because right back in the beginning of my career when I did my yeah. first M&A transaction, that was the only way I knew. That was how I was taught to create value. And it was only later on that I realized there was a whole swathe of accountants that did it from behind the desk with spreadsheets. That's right. And my view since those early days has always been that there's obvious value creation that you can see through spreadsheets, but there's a bucket load that you miss. Well, This is it. And I
1: think ultimately, Rob, what we're talking about is really the great M&A challenge. One of the great challenges is obviously the ability to identify, deliver and measure deal value. That's what it's all about. And the tried and tested response, as you and I know, is to use a whole arsenal, or I call it arsenal, financial accounting tools, of which of the spreadsheet, the Excel spreadsheet is by far away the most dominant approach. Yep. And you go ahead and you work out your profit and loss, you do projections, you do discounted cash analysis, so on and so forth. And yes, that, that's certainly an approach you take, and that—that that is the absolutely, a right way to do things i'm not saying that you don't but there's a what i argue and i think what you would agree with me rob is i think there's another approach which is very complementary which is not a financial accounting approach it's actually an engineering approach yeah where you actually go for a much more nuts and bolts view and you look at an organisation much in the same way, and we say engineering, like the way you look at an engine of a vehicle or a car or anything, you know, like to say, how does this business work? What's its constituent parts? How does it actually deliver value? And that's a much more analytical design process, very scientific or very engineering in a sense, where you actually break a business down into its little bits and you construct a working model of how the business actually delivers value to customers. Yeah. You know, and that's a—that's what I'm talking about here.
0: Well, something's just come to my head while you were talking yep. about that. Yeah. And in my background, agree or disagree, but yep. there's always been what I call three steps to that process. So, yes, there's the, the bit that the spreadsheet jockeys drive. Yeah. And that's what I call the bleeding obvious value. You don't need two you don't need two head offices, for example. So yes. Know, um, well,
1: uh, you might call it the bleeding obvious. I call that the combinational synergies. It's the combinational a, 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 value. I, I knew you'd have a posh word for it. <laughs> oh, sorry. I kind I gotta put an extra bit of what is it again? The combinational <laughs> combinational synergies. It's you know, taking well. out the duplication. It's like whether it's duplication in people, like whether you hey, don't need well, two they, f-
0: there you go. Combinational synergy value. Yeah. That's, why, that's why Excel's got a CSV at the end of the, the, the file structure. <laughs> and there you go. Combinational synergy value. Oh, CSV. God. Yeah, you're, try, try saying you're, that you're, one. You're, you're on fire today, Rob. Oh <laughs> Well, so going back to the three points, that, so there's yeah. the, what I call the bleeding obvious, which is yeah. those obvious value points that Blind Freddy can see. And they're easy to identify. Yes. The second stage for me is that that financial analysis Mm. should then start to point you in the direction of other value opportunities in that deal. Yes, yes. And and, and I'll use an example. You might look at total cost of supply chain per tonne of product. Yes, yes, yes. And if one company's got, a total supply chain cost of $120.35. Yeah, The other yeah. one's got a total supply chain cost of $85.20. You sort yes. of go, right, hang on. What are they doing? Yes. Why, why is it costing us several dollars more on one side yes. than the other, what are they doing that we can replicate? Well, indeed. And it's interesting
1: to point out that one, Rob, because it's that's where you, we start stepping away from the CSV, as you mentioned, or combinational synodities, or the bleeding and obvious, uh, yeah. to the things which are a little bit less bleeding and obvious. And interesting enough, sometimes doesn't find its way into the due diligence estimates you make on the value of a business. No, so we start no.
0: creeping away. I, I would say you can put that one to bed because due diligence very rarely yeah. goes into this depth of analysis or radiation. And I think you
1: and I would agree that, and here's the unfortunate situation, is that for a lot, a lot of executives and certainly dealmakers, that's the only thing that you're looking to seek because that's what justifies the yeah but the yeah. idea is you should go beyond the deal itself into the whole raison d'etre as one might say or the strategic aim that you want to have behind the, uh, the deal, but it doesn't find its way necessarily into the
0: spreadsheet, you know, or into the valuation. And then this Brilliant. is what we're talking about. Well, that comes back to my point then about, and I know i bang on about this, but the old yeah. jigsaw puzzle analogy. Yes. Because at one end of this process, you've got the original deal, or somebody's mm. decided we're going to acquire company X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a vision there's some idea yeah. of why you're doing this strategic advantage competitive advantage yes whatever it may be so that's the starting point like i said when you when you get all of the financials the first step one's easy there's the obvious oh, yeah. synergies, cost say, savings, yes. yeah low hanging fruit or quick low, wins is another expression <laughs> that's it all of those <laughs> all of those the, the second bit is the piece that that exercise sort of starts to point you in certain directions. Mm, and the example yep. I gave was the supply chain cost differences. But then yep. there's a third element, yep. which is what I would call creative engineering. Okay, that's an that's an interesting one. Okay, good, good, go, go. Well, it's that piece where you stand back, and yep. on one side, you've got that vision of why the board wanted to make this deal, and on the other side, you've got your insights into both businesses and the creativity in the middle looks for finds and engineers mm-hmm. those additional value ads. Yes. That would not have been there when the two companies were separate. That's right. Yeah. So these right. are, the, I call on the, your mega value
1: creating opportunities.
0: Yeah. And it can be, it can be something it almost sounds a shame to say as simple as because it's not simple. No, it's but, not
1: simple, and that's the reason why I think it doesn't often find its way in a spreadsheet, in the transaction documents. And I, I think it's yeah. because it, it requires analysis. And I think, in all fairness, Rob, when we know the fast pace of deal making, the due diligence, and the closing, there isn't sufficient time to look under the hood or to dig down deeper and to help sort of really identify and, and quantify. These more profound synergies to be had. And, and I think executives yeah. resort to vision or, or strategy or a kind of a, an anticipation that we will deliver this value without actually quite defining it in
0: sufficient detail. And let's, let's be fair to those deal makers. I mean, I've yeah. actually been on a call this afternoon around a deal. And one of the questions asked by one side was, oh, well, we, we want to do X, Y, and Z due diligence over a, a six-month period of time. And and the, the senior executive on the other side, he was very, very blunt. He just said, no, no, we won't entertain that level of due diligence. We'll provide you with X, Y, and Z. But no, no. We're, not, we're not opening ourselves up to that level of people tramping all over the business well of course it's it's also
1: there's no competitive pressure why would you do it i mean the whole point of the exercise is to is to keep it fast paced and moving and and have due diligence being
0: operating within a very limited time window and i think also there's another element of this that Mm. is where you and i come in and that is that if you were to do that part of it during you know, pre-deal due diligence. You would only see one side of the picture yes, because that's, that's where you do your due do, you diligence do, on the on the company that's going to be acquired. It's only after you've acquired it and you've got insight of both the, the acquiring business and the acquired business, yeah, and the vision that the board originally had that you then start to see through the gaps. If you do indeed, and I, 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 you're, you're
1: so right there, Rob, because the sort of valuation of the, of the potential sort of synergies at least that were quanti- defined I mean you have to go back and revisit that because they may not be quite what you thought they were and they do need to be revised but importantly it's also an opportunity now you actually own the business you can actually dig deeper and actually identify other opportunities and it it's something you really do need to do and one thing that surprised me is that it isn't often done that So often, and it's mildly frustrating, and he's a bit of a rant going here, but it's so often the case that you have a transaction document that defines the uh, synergies, and then you deliver upon those synergies post-deal, but go no further, and that's it. And then you're leaving all this other opportunity, which may eventually not be, (coughs) be realized at all. And so, if anything, you're not delivering the full value of what this deal has because the nature of value is it doesn't come by on its own. You actually got to uh, push it through. You've got to identify it. You've got to manage it. You've got to push it because there's no one identifying, managing and pushing it. The value in itself will not be delivered.
0: I've got a few, Yeah. and it's got, it's got no basis on it whatsoever other than my own experience. Yeah. I'll see what your thoughts are on this. Yeah. So bear with me for a second. A large portion of M&A deals go through and they're pushed through and both sides want to see a relatively speedy close to the transaction. There's then one of the big four gets involved normally during due diligence. And as we've just said, they do stage one, which is the fly by the desk spreadsheet type uh, work to identify the value in the deal. And then a whole group of... Consultants get loose on the deal. Hmm. Their job is basically tactical: bolt the two bits together. But what I'm going to say is worse still. Those people that are doing that job are following a playbook, and they're invariably people who came out of college age 26 or 27. I I know. I know um, what you're saying here. I've got no real experience. Managing a shop floor or a business or whatever, yeah, yeah, um, they're intelligent people. But don't get me wrong, they're, they're really yeah. skilled people. They don't know what they don't know.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean, Rob, and I think the subtlety of what we're dealing with here really requires not a playbook or some manual no. or, or set of steps. I would call it far more eclectic. You're, you're taking across a wide range of disciplines, but also a lot of deep experience to know how to wisely deliver value.
0: I'll go back to my three steps again, because yeah. what, what I think what we're both saying is yeah. step one is yeah. the spreadsheet stuff. Yeah. How to save FTE? So yeah, yeah big click. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The second part that I talked about, where you mm. can see that the supply chain cost is different on one side from it is from the other. Yeah, that's still a that's still a playbook process. There's a process you go through. Oh, absolutely. Each cost element of the supply chain and see where the yeah. operating differences are. Yeah, and improve that. And I'll give credits to KPMG and Price Waterhouse and those guys. They can do that. Yeah. That's why I use the word creative for the third bit because yeah. – I use the word um, value
1: creation, but I know what yeah. you mean. It, it, yeah. you're, you're creating value and not capturing it because when you're actually going through the uh, obvious what I call combinational uh, synergies or bleed and obvious as you refer to it, that's just capturing value. That's
0: known. It's hard. We know it exists. It's not hard yeah. to do, and yeah. you do it quickly post-deal. Yeah, what we're talking about here is value, which is to most people invisible. Yes, it's not obvious. It's, it's, it's not obvious. Yeah, correct. I agree. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I, I can't think of a better word to use than creative, but essentially, you, you might be looking at both businesses, and mm. yes, they've both got some commonalities in terms of the product ranges and the markets yep. they operate in and serve, and so on and so forth. Somebody with insight will look at that and go, but hang on a minute. Yesterday, both of these companies were £350 gorillas. Yeah. Now what we've got is a £700 gorilla. We can now dominate certain markets in a way that we've never been able to do so before. Well, I think you call that
1: scale and scope. So you've got more scale, you're scaled up business, and you've got more scope, and it gives you abilities to do things you simply weren't able to do before.
0: Uh, yes, but within that, you can yeah. also see opportunity to service that same market, maybe with products that you haven't mm. been able to service the market with previously. Correct. Correct. I've, I've just, one just come straight into my head and I'm I'm sure they won't mind me mentioning their name. I did some work uh, a a long time ago for Johnson & Johnson, and they'd been on an acquisitive track for a while. And I think they'd made eight or ten acquisitions across Mm -hmm. the globe over a five-year period or something like that. But what it created was not just an opportunity for all of their operations to be efficient, Somebody came up with a strategy that said, hang on a minute, we can now actually create value in the market by assigning each of our operating factories to being experts in one specific product line. So, instead of the businesses in Australia producing five or six different products mm. and having to have the engineering and the production line set up to do that and the changeover times and the skills and the whatever, mm. they just said, no, this factory is now going to produce the global volume of product X. Yep. And that immediately drove some absolutely massive cost savings and efficiencies. And at first, people like me sat there and went, That doesn't make sense. If you produce the whole global demand of you know whatever product Mm. in one place, you're now faced with the supply chain costs Mm. of moving that product from A to B. But when you actually looked at it in detail, those supply chain costs were already being spent moving the other six products that that operating plant produced around the world. Anyway, it just made. Great sense, but you, you didn't see that until the business got to a certain size and you saw the power of its combined capabilities.
1: Well, it's interesting because I think, again, that just shows an engineering approach in terms of design and how you design. I suppose, Robert's. Reason why you know we so often talk about operating model design as a means of actually extracting value at a deal. In other words, you really do need to get that sort of view how a business operates to break it down to its constituent parts and then bolt it back together again to get a sort of a a new engine of growth. Because that's what uh, it's really just the engine of growth. And how do you how do you model it so that it it operates
0: optimally? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and the other thing is you've got to. I can't think what I'm trying to say now. But if I go back to that example I've just given, if I had been the chief operating officer, let's say, of Johnson & Mm. Johnson, and somebody had come to me with that idea that they did Mm. go through, I would have sat there with my past experience and I'd go, that's complete rubbish. That's just going to blow our supply chain costs through the roof. But it's not. The creative idea, the thought process... And then you've got to have the ability to break it down into all its constituent parts and demonstrate that re-engineered, it's actually a more profitable, more cost-effective operating model than the one that you're currently using. It only becomes visible and available to you when you've the necessary companies together rob whenever i
1: think about these things we talked about value capture versus value creation but there are so many things you can do with a business your example johnson johnson is a great example there's so much you can do you know with Whether it's to do with procurement, improving your procurement processes, whether it's to do with whether you outsource certain parts of your business, whether it's, for example, technology outsourcing can can, um, achieve terrific savings. And then it comes down to the commercial-type synergies, whether it's to do with your inventory or asset utilisation, or whether it's to do with your funding rates or your supplier terms. All these things have ways of delivering more value to the business, or or, or critically – Here's the operating model view again. Changing your whole order-to-cash process. So, how you order-to-cash. Don't accept as a given that this is the way the order-to-cash process works. Go ahead and use the M&A, the, the fact that you're actually doing a deal and integrating two businesses together, to relook at your order-to-cash process and see how you can redesign it. Make it more yep. streamlined. Well, these are all these things you can do. And these go far beyond your typical FTE-saving duplication-type exercises. And we haven't even begun to talk about revenue synergies, whether it's new products, cross-sell, geographic expansion, brand building, territory, sales force enablement. These are other things which even go beyond what we're already talking now. Well, I would would
0: argue that those points that you've just mentioned – what yep. I call step two, okay, because to some extent, I mean, I think about my experience in the tech industry. Mm. Company A acquires Company B, and you've immediately got an opportunity to cross-sell and upsell yes. products across your respective customer bases. And yeah. so, it becomes a question of how do you consolidate the sales team to become a uh, a sales engine for the combined product suite and Mm. how do you drive extra revenue from that but uh, what i'm thinking of more is uh, again i'll go back to the word creative and another example that comes to my mind was Meissen group in the uk an engineering group and they used to make central heating radiators and stuff like that quite a big group and the ceo suddenly decided that he was going to buy a technology company and a lot of people around him said what the hell do you want to do that for? We're not a technology business. We're an engineering business. We don't mm. need technology expertise in the business. And what he basically said was, no, but if I buy a technology business, bring it in-house, we can actually deliver our technology across the group a damn site cheaper than we're Mm. currently doing with multiple vendors Mm. and we can sell that same technology into our partners and our customers at the same time. And that was just another way of looking outside the box and seeing ways to manage and run the business in different ways.
1: With the two examples you've given, it just shows the exciting opportunities there are to deliver value beyond the obvious or beyond the bleeding obvious, as you have mentioned. And that's what makes m a so interesting, but also disappointing to the extent that so often, as I've seen, I'm sure you have, many an organisation don't go beyond the obvious. And no. that's a disappointment. And I think sometimes the reason why m a gets a bit of a bad name because it, it has a tendency to disappoint in terms of, what you thought you would be able to achieve in terms of profitability and revenue growth because ultimately it is harder what you and i are talking about is a little bit harder than the obvious but if you put in the management commitment you have the teamwork and that engineering mindset that you and i talk about i think you will go a lot further and deliver far more long-term sustainable value than what most organizations would even realize, given the transaction documents they're given at a yeah.
0: deal time. And, and I dare say, yeah. um, and I'm probably being a little bit cruel here, but at the core of what we're talking about, you've got a board that makes an acquisition. And as a result of that acquisition, they say, see their share price go up from $1.46 to $1.78. seventy eight. Yeah. They see the operating costs of the combined businesses reduced from fourteen cents in the dollar to to twelve cents in the dollar, and they go, "Wow, look at that! that's millions on the bottom line mm-hmm. and the valuation of the business has now gone up by six hundred million and they pat themselves on the back and go that's great, and we've got all these synergies we've reduced our you know corporate offices yep. we've you know improved our efficiency through our supply chain and our warehousing reorganization. And I think that's great. And to some yeah. extent, it is. It is yes. great. But uh, again, I'm going to ask you for what your thoughts are. Hmm. Mine is you cannot do all of that, get to the end of that, and then go, oh, good. Well, that's finished. Now we'll just step back and see if we can find some more stuff. You actually need to do this as an integral element of the m a integration in the first place. And no, I agree. Here's 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 the
1: slight slant on what you just said, Robin, which is I think comes down to the, the very fundamental issue. We suffer from short-termism. It comes down to the um, reporting results, whether it's half yearly or yearly. You focus on that; it is all about the short term at the expense of what might be achievable long-term. So, in other words, when you have that short-term focus and short-term focus on shareholder value, you tend to ignore what could long-term could be achieved. But if you put that focus on the long-term at the same time, the business is going to be much better off if you take the long-term view. The problem is that organizations, and the way we're structured and set up, we tend not to
0: well, I agree. I actually think there's another podcast in this somewhere where we but can Bob, unpack this a I bit think, more. I tell you what the problem is, uh, Rob,
1: It's that short-term versus long-term. Well, And it, that, it is. to me, is a fundamental problem because organisations that take a long-term view in terms of their future growth opportunities and build the the operating model around the long-term focus, they're going to be far more successful in the future.
0: I agree. And I tell you what, I reckon we're going to talk about this in our next podcast and unpack this a bit more. Because because the other side of the thing that we can't can't ignore is you take a traditional M&A that goes through and then the integration starts, whether you like it or not, both businesses are thrown into some element of upheaval and chaos for a period of time where people are moving about, things are moving, premises are being shut down, new ones are being opened, a whole pile of stuff. There is a limited period of time in which you can continue to put people through that level of disruption and chaos. That's so, so there's yeah. one force working against you which says – you need to get this done smoothly and quickly and efficiently so people can get patted on the back and be told there, there, it's over now. You can go back to, and that's, that is important. You can't ignore the people side of this, but I agree. There's a balance somewhere. Yeah. Is this, is
1: this an next podcast? (laughs) I think it is. Yeah. Because I think we're now opening up another one here, which is, which is
0: true. And I was going to respond, but I think (laughs) we both enjoy the topic, but (laughs) yeah, The other thing I want to throw into the mix just as we close off is that I also believe that when you get to that creative engineering part of a deal, the people that do that, um, they have to have two qualities. Quality number one, they've got to be able to remove themselves from the business and look at it from the outside. And quality number two, they've got to be a helicopter pilot. Yeah, no, I agree with both in actual fact. This is stuff that really requires
1: an outsider because you've got to have that outside in view. I think maybe we mentioned it earlier on in the podcast, but sometimes it's just not obvious because when you're deep into it in a a business, you don't have that wider view and it takes an Uh, outsider to
0: see it. Well, yeah, and it takes an outsider with a mentality of a two-year-old, you know, Yeah, but why? Well, yes, I think it's, (laughs) yeah. I was going to say to you,
1: but in actual fact, it's actually quite, it's a very profound approaching, way of approaching, because that's that's the whole Socratic method of asking why. Yeah. Um, Um, So it's actually asking why is one of the most powerful things you can
0: ask. Why this and why that? Sir Michael Edwards at Dunlop always used to say that you've never fully understood a business until you've asked the why question at least five times. Well, this is it. Now, I think it goes back to what Simon Sinek always
1: um, says. and he book, Always start with why. We always focus on the what and the how, but we've got to go back to the why. And so it's asking the why, which is so important. And in a sense, I think that's where you need an outsider. I mean, I agree with you, uh, Rob. I mean, you've got to ask the question why. Yeah. And, and ask the why in the right moments to actually elicit some deeper responses because it's those deeper responses which are just so critical
0: Well, i reckon we take this into our next uh, podcast I uh, think so. when we do so i think some of the questions are yes we've unpacked this thing about creative engineering or whatever we want to call it so yeah. some of the questions are when do you start that process and who's the i audience? agree i'll come with my final quip and that is when it comes to value
1: don't just spreadsheet it engineer it
0: None of it. There you go. In about 200 years' time, somebody's got to unearth a book, and instead of it saying, Confucius says such and such, it'll be Toby Tester said. He <laughs> said, don't just spreadsheet it. Engineer, engineer it. it yeah absolutely a good one a good point to finish on Toby a pleasure as always I've loved this one this has been yeah, a great, a good one, great conversation it? yeah and oh, I reckon we we follow on to the next podcast and we'll do some more of this and I unpack so. it a bit further yeah definitely and other than that it's uh, I think this is a suitable place to close tonight's podcast and simply to say we'll be back again in a couple of weeks time and it's from me it's bye for now And goodbye from me as well. There you go. That was good. That was good.